For November 8th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 697, Mollusk Ex Machina. Overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. You can think of us like a group of identically jumpsuited people uh, taken from our home. Well, I guess not taken, volunteered to go from our homes and compete in an arena of the most uh, the most childish uh, activity that you can possibly think of, which is watching what we see on TV. And, uh, so, you know, by, by reenacting this, this childhood activity with mortal stakes, we, uh, we really develop a, a deep understanding of our society and, and I think of ourselves. Maybe the squid was all the friends we made along the way. Yes, we're talking about Squid Game. Uh, there will be spoilers for Squid Game in this. So if you haven't seen it, uh, I don't think you want to listen to this podcast. I, I think you want to, uh, watch it first and then, uh, and then come back to listen to us. I uh, am Matt. Rather, I am joined by my fellow squid, my fellow jumpsuited contestants, uh, Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. May the odds be ever in your favor, Matt. Oh, wrong franchise, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. <laughs> I've kidnapped a whole bunch of Japanese school children to fight on this island for me. Oh, wrong franchise, Pete and what? Mark oh. Lee. <laughs> Uh, what is this? Some kind of squid game? Nailed <laughs> um, it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's I I do like how the squid, uh, how the giant squid, um, comes out at the very uh, at the very end to explain what we've seen and the moral lessons we've learned. It's a uh, squid. It's you know uh, mollusk ex machina. And that's, uh, you know, pretty good. No, uh, okay. I, I mean, it, everyone who's listening has watched Squid Game, but just to kind of set the, uh, just to set the record straight, Mark, can you just break down a little capsule plot summary of, uh, what, what even is a Squid Game? Sure thing. Uh, and this also serves as a favor to those who, uh, haven't seen the show, but just like want to get in on the conversation and want to s- see what the fuss is all about. Um, which uh, before I get into this, it is worth your time to go see it. So really like, okay, I'm going to give this, uh, plot synopsis uh, for those who haven't seen it, but really go out, go, go see it. Um, okay. So South Korea, this is very, is a capitalist country, uh, as we all learned, uh, with, with, with significant income inequality in society, as we all learned a couple of years ago in the Oscar winning movie parasite, right? That is actually important context. I think in a cultural context for how this movie, uh, this TV show is being received, right? So, <clears throat> Um, South Korea, uh, from the outside, seems like is a very technologically advanced and wealthy society. Both of those things are true, but as I mentioned before, plenty of income inequality. We meet a series of people who are down on their luck in a very particular way, which is that they are saddled with crippling, crippling debt, like unpayable debt. And they all receive a, an odd invitation uh, to uh, to join a series of games for cash. Um, the first game they play uh, basically involves physical humiliation, but does uh, result in, in cash in their hands. Um, they are all uh, put into a van uh, after they volunteer uh, to, to agree to join the games. They go, they go into a van. They are gassed. Um, they don't consent to that part for sure. Um, and then they're whisked away to a mysterious location uh, where they play childhood games uh, that turn out to be uh, deadly uh, at mortal stakes, as Matt uh, so eloquently put it. I'm all for an enormous cash prize. Um, the as the contestants are whittled down, 
Um, we slowly start to uh, learn the mystery of what is going on with the game. And uh, one contestant finally uh, does win, um, but at great cost <laughs> to himself because uh, he watches a childhood best friend <laughs> die uh, nearly at his own hands. And um, the big reveal at the end in terms of who is behind this whole thing, it's not the foreigners uh, that are the quote unquote VIPs uh, that come along and um, swirl their liquor and smoke their cigars and kind of sneer at the whole thing. It's not them. No, it is, in fact, um, this elderly man who we first meet as ostensibly as a contestant. um, But it turns out basically as a banker, uh, financed the whole thing, uh, was bored and wanted to have some fun and see people kill each other for money, but poor desperate people kill each other for money. And then also wanted to hop in uh, on the activity himself. Um, That however, is not the end of our story. That was just kind of like season one and season two is set up for uh, the main character who, uh, who who came out on top to uh, bring the whole thing down, burn it all down. All of it, man. Capitalism in particular. That oh. is my, my my very quick summary of a nine episode uh, Netflix series that has a whole lot uh, of plot twists and turns and like uh, a, a a very memorable slate of characters by the way which we, we should get into. So are there, what are, are there guys? are there relevant details that we feel like we also need to just read into evidence before we uh, before we launch into it? Uh, I'll let one of the other folks uh, to, to. Oh to yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying, does anyone want to supplement before we before we jump in? Because anything that's not said now, I don't know if you know the rules of evidence, the rules of Squid Game evidence. It's uh, anything that's not said now can't be uh, can't be even discussed later if it's not you know put into the if it's not read into the record at this point. Um, I mean, I guess I'll add that there's a bunch of colorful characters who each have their own story, which Mark alluded to. Uh, but I would say two of them that really stand out to me as uh, as as centers of gravity of their stories is a North Korean woman who enters the Squid Game because she can't she doesn't have access to her family. Her family is trapped right uh, you know, behind the, the bay, uh, the DMZ, and uh, she wants to try to get them out. And that's kind of her objective in getting the money. And also her brother is uh, is in a home because she can't afford to care for him herself. Um, and so her story and her sort of world weariness, despite her youth, and you would think she would have so much opportunity ahead of her, uh, is, is one of the uh, more mysterious, I would say, kind of centers of gravity of the show. And then another one that I think it sometimes steals the show is the crime drama of the stupid gangster, right? <laughs> um, that this show kind of plays like uh, the show, the show does to an extent play like a dramatization of saints row where there is a sort of comical Korean gangster heel who puts together a sort of nonsense, bizarre, you know, squid game prison gang, uh, and then has a prison mall who's his sort of girlfriend. And I didn't even mention, and there's also a cop, it's also a cop drama because there's totally a cop who's searching for his missing brother. So, yes, there is this sort of mainline story of the main protagonist as he goes from uh, being, you know, uh, a, a very down in his luck guy to one of the good millionaires uh, who's going to fix it all. Um, and, uh, and but there's also a whole bunch of other subgenres of story. Uh, and I suspect, though, don't really know for certain that a lot of them have their own specific relationships with Korean society in such a kind of allegory heavy uh, story as uh, Squid Game. Um, oh, and also the mysterious guards uh, all wear PlayStation buttons on their faces, which I think has been uh, commented on extensively through various sorts of media. 
um, I think. So I would add that. I don't know. Uh, Blakey, would you add anything to the to the mix? I mean, did we talk about how the games are all not just your standard blood sports, uh, <laughs> but very specific children's games that are, you know, that most Americans wouldn't be remotely familiar with. Right. Um, you Outside know, like, red light, green light. Yeah. Red light, green light somewhat, but then there's, there's this sort of sugar cookies, right. That need to be, uh, sort of punched out of the mold. Um, and the, the squid game itself, which I assume is a real game. Or we played octopus growing up, which seems like it was somewhat similar, but was a bit different. I don't know if it was the same thing or not. Um, yeah, but I mean, like I, I guess to get okay. So here's the thing. So the Squid Game is it's it's kind of an intriguing mystery as it starts. Is that it's obviously being put on uh, by an organization with uh, almost unlimited means, right? Like you know, we're talking about hundreds of people being kidnapped seamlessly off the street, simultaneously shipped to a remote facility, you know, dressed in identical matching jumps. You know, this is a staff of hundreds of people are doing this. And, and why are they doing this? Right. It's, it's sort of like, there's no indication of who's behind this and the games are all very specific, right? They're children's games. Why are they children's games? And it also seems like, um, whoever's is putting on the game is is performing some sort of a uh, like a milgram uh prison experiments you know uh where where they they do things like um you know uh put on strobe lights in the middle of the night and sort of uh or or uh lower people's uh food rations to try to get them to, you know to to uh engage in hostilities against each other and it sort of seems like i mean obviously the whole show is meant to be a metaphor is meant to be a microcosm of society is meant to be sort of like a Star Trek esque uh, type thought experiment. But, you know, even within the show, whoever is putting on the squid game is trying to, you know, put on interesting, you know, is to create interesting little situations where, you know, you have 10 minutes to form a team. Let's see how they do this. Or like, now you're asked to betray your team. Let's see how everyone handles this. And it really seems like, you know, the, the person behind the show is almost like Ed Harris from The Truman Show. He's like, you know, there's a producer, there's a television producer within the show itself who is arranging these games for maximum dramatic impact. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's an ongo. So, well, okay, so two things from that, right? The first is that that means there are at least two plots, right? There's the plot of kind of getting through the squid game and like, you know, and then there's the plot of the kind of the interior, um, the, the interior workings of the shadowy organization coming to light. And it is, it is so easy and entertainment to create in entertainment. It is so easy to create a disappointing shadowy organization, you know, and it's, it's at this point, you know, in a post X files world, you know, I don't know. Can you think of like, what is the best shadowy, you know, nefarious mastermind organization that you can think of from, from contemporary movies or television? I don't know. Matt, do you have one? It's a good, I mean, it's a good question. So like, you know, looking at the lost shows or, or, you know, currently, um, manifest is a huge hit. Any show that's about this sort of like huge mystery, right. That like something happens that's inexplicable and, everybody starts to pull on the threads and figuring out what's behind it. Even honestly, I'd include something like the blacklist, right? Where it's like, there's something going on. We don't really know what, what game is being played. 
Um, and and the question is that like you know when we're finally revealed the whole picture as much of the picture as JJ Abrams is capable of giving us, uh, is it going to be satisfying? Is it going to be like oh okay that justifies everything, or is it go- are we going to be nostalgic for the days when it was just this? inexplicable mystery yeah it's distinct Um, but it's it's related to the phenomenon of the you know the the willy wonka the tim burton willy wonka conundrum right like willy wonka is helped not at all by the knowledge that he had a a traumatic run-in with a dentist as a child or what I, i mean i even forget what it was it was so slight and inconsequential right like willy wonka is dramatic and mysterious and sort of wonderful and and like giving him a giving him an explanation, you know, that makes sense is not, uh, right. Isn't helpful. Like it doesn't make the story better. It doesn't make the experience of, of, uh, you know, reading Charlie and the chocolate factory or, or watching the, the film. Like it, do, it doesn't make it better. Like some things, you know, I don't know. It's it, it, villains are villains are better. They're scarier when they're not, um, sort of psychologized to that, that particular degree, but I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of getting, uh, getting off there's so uh, getting off track there's um a thing you know so there's this thing of this shadowy nefarious organization coming coming to light and then there's the story of kind of getting through uh getting through the games i i suggest to you that the getting through the game story is pretty well done in this and the the shadowy organization story is is slightly less so and uh, you know at the end is maybe a little less satisfying but like one thing i noticed about the games is that i mean matt you described them as having a producer as though they were a piece of entertainment and i suppose they are in some sense staged as entertainment for the people for the vips who like uh who watch them who apparently watch them remotely um uh, you know until the very end when maybe a select few lucky ones can can come and see the uh can come and see the games and and i gather that the vips are like clients of the uh clients of the old man um or at least that's how it started um initially and they're you know i don't know they're dead inside uh to the point where uh, to the point where the only way they can um you know, feel alive at all is, uh, watching this, watching this sort of perverse blood sport. The, I mean, it's like they want to, uh, it's like they want to hunt the most dangerous game, but they're too lazy to go hunting is, uh, kind of the dynamic of these people. They'd rather sit around in literal bathrobes. Um, you know, I don't know. I've never attended a live entertainment at which I was, uh, at which I was invited to recline in a literal bathrobe. So like in that, in that respect, if nothing else, this is, uh, this is fairly novel. The masks are interesting, right? Because it's, it's obviously the people working at the squid game wear the masks, but then the VIPs also have these ornate, um, stag mat, you know, the, these, these gilded animal masks that are straight out of like, you know, eyes wide shot or something that feel, that feel very like, you know, it's like a mask of the red death type situation. Yeah. And it's interesting because I guess on the surface you're like, well, what they're doing is obviously ridiculously illegal. doesn't even begin to come. Illegal is not a strong enough word <laughs> for what we're watching here. And so like, of course they need a certain level of anonymity, but I got to believe the VIPs must all know each other. Right. Like, like there's no, they're not concerned with hiding. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're all members of the same endangered animal shooting clubs, and uh, yeah, like you know, these, these guys are all friends. All those, and so they're, all they're, those they're, things, yeah. So wearing the mask is part of the the fun for them, right? It, it, it's part of the whole 
experience of like um I don't yeah, know. of the, of the sexy, yeah, of the, the, of the, the sexy party. But I, I you know, the, so I'm sorry, I'll, I'll give the floor back, Pete, but the, the, the point I wanted to make about the, the entertainment aspect of the games is that they're, they are, um, organized right to have a a gradually escalating level of of kind of tension and psychological horror and they're done you know in world they're done for the the benefit of the um uh, you know the benefit of the the VIPs but you know entertainment wise they're done i mean we are the real VIPs aren't we um there it's done for the benefit of us so that like there is a kind of there is a sense of rising tension that is to say the first game murders you kind of indiscriminately and impersonally the second game is like man versus self you know uh and so, starting in the third game it's team versus team um uh, uh, number four is marbles, right? So then it's, it's person versus person. Uh, then every kind of every man for every man for himself. And then it's, you know, basically just invited to, you're invited to melee, um, in, in the last game and like kind of the, the level at which you have to participate, you know, in, uh, in the, the gruesome death of your co, um, co-contestants kind of ratchets up right at at each your level of of kind of forced complicity right like ratchets up at each uh at each stage yeah this is all done really well Uh, so let me give a little bit of historical context here which helps explain uh the ratcheting up of these games um and it's connected actually to the main character uh gihun uh the automobile factory strike uh that he has a flashback to right and it's that's like that that causes his precipitous downfall and gets him addicted you know and addicted to gambling and just such dire straits um in that and just kind of the brief historical research that i did here um we find that there's a real life analog uh to the events that he described in which like half of these automobile factory workers are are going to factory workers are going to be laid off um and it's not clear who it's going to be and so at first all the factory workers are all um, in solidarity with each other, trying to protect each other. Um, but as the strike wears on, um, they all start to turn on each other. And then it becomes, I'm going to uh, you know, save my own neck and I'm going to throw my colleague under the bus in order to save my job. This, of course, is connected to the broader themes of capitalism and things like that. And specifically, like how the Korean economy has changed, how there's uh, you know less job security and no social safety net. Um, so you know, the, the, the structure of the game serves both a dramatic and a thematic purpose, which I thought was really interesting, uh, interesting way to yeah. do it. So uh, one thing that I thought was a little disingenuous, a little forced is that by the end of the game, there's this real dichotomy between Sangwoo and, and Gihong and, uh, Sangwoo is sort of established as somebody who will do anything to win. Um, whereas Gion has this Pollyannish notion kind of up to the last minute that he can somehow get through the squid game and keep his hands clean. Right. You know, and it, and it, it feels like I, I do. Sangwoo does things in the squid game that are pretty unforgivable. I'm, I'm thinking, especially um, what what he does to Ali is, is pretty rough in the marbles game where he just like straight up deceives him, steals his marbles and, and, and leaves him to get shot in the head, um, which is like, you know, real, you know, uh, Letty and George and mice in bed stuff. Um, but but the idea the, the thing that Gihong really 
gets on his case about is pushing the glass maker off of the end on the bridge. And I was kind of on Sengu's side on that one, because if I remember correctly, there was something like 20 seconds left. And so it, it was at the point where like, if the guy didn't go, didn't pick a side, uh, they were all going to die. And, and just sort of the idea and, and Sangwu was a little defensive. He's sort of like, you need people like me. You're actually lucky that there's somebody like me here because without me, you wouldn't have made it past the last. And he's completely right. It's a very like, um, uh, Scarface sort of like say goodnight to the bad guy thing where it's like, you know, you think you're better than me, but like, no, you just know how to lie. Well, he says he eats breakfast 200 yards away from snipers <laughs> who are trained to kill him. And you want him on that wall. You need him. On that wall, Pete. We haven't heard from you in a in a second. Any of these threads that you want to pick up and uh, and run with? I'm just really glad that we have so many people here, and that none of us have been shot in the head and and eliminated from the podcast. It's pretty great. No, I just I wanted to make so one... far. <laughs> I wanted to comment on one thing, and I think I want to hear more about Mark talking about the economic stuff. I think this connects to some of that, which is an important detail that we overlooked in describing the plot. It is not just for entertainment. The Squid Game is a gambling hall. And so right. even though the show has a it, – it's one of those shows that's a, it's better than its premise. And one of the confoundments that makes it better than its premise is that even though we have the poor folks on the inside who are competing for the money and the rich folks on the outside that are kind of torturing them in order to do this and murdering them – um, or at least are kind of there to you know witness and enable their murder and torture either by each other or by the mechanism, right? Um, the everybody seems to share this uh, this draw to gambling, and and one of the big sort of thematic questions I had looking at this, and it might have been a sort of death of the author question, is because I don't know if the they really necessarily intended for it to be this way, but are we supposed to believe that? The protagonist's gambling addiction is bad, um, is is unfortunate for him, but he's still a good person. And and whereas the rich people gambling pathologically, because the the poor guy gambling, you know, really really screws over a bunch of people who really rely on him, right? And and he's a really damaging presence in the lives of his family. And and his gambling addiction is a huge problem, right? And it has real tangible, real world effects. Um, and so does the gambling of the rich people. Right. And so I kind of wonder and, and if if the proposition is, well, I do this because I'm bored. Right. It seems like there might be a sort of way of articulating part of what the problem here is uh, having to do with each person in their own place, wherever they are, uh, just not like the way that they're arranged is is depriving them of some important thing to do that they should be doing. Right. Um, because both the rich people and the poor people are undertasked. Right. And are both turning to gambling. Um, and I thought that 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 was interesting. So anyway, sorry that I just wanted to to to. And I'm, I'm assuming that the house gets a cut because uh, the gambling stakes <laughs> go up as the stakes of the of the of the games go up. And, and what gambling house doesn't get a cut? Right. Yeah, it, the doesn't, it doesn't seem like um, there are there are a lot of side bets. Right. Like there 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 are a lot of side bets. No, they talk explicitly about all of the side bets they're making. Oh, yeah. But I mean, no, they're registering them. You know, they're like they're, oh, yeah, 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 they yeah, make yeah. them they exactly. make them publicly. They're not being they're not being made like ancillary to the to the kind of main gambling activity of the of the thing. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that, like you hunt. It's a character, and this this could be like a lack of cultural competency or just ignorance on my part. But I I 
wasn't sure from moment to moment sometimes how seriously to take him, right? Like there, there are moments of real pathos, real like affecting pathos done in, in what struck me as like a really kind of wrenching and emotionally realistic way by the actor. And, and then there are moments of kind of almost like clowning, you know, where, where some of the stuff that, that he does seems like it's, um, I, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's not, not to be taken seriously or belongs to a different kind of show, uh, than the, uh, than the kind of show where people get, get shot in the head and like, you know, um, d- uh, like, uh, fathers ga- ga- gamble away their the money they've stolen from their mother wh- whom they live with and the money that was supposed to be for their daughter's birthday present or something like that. So, right? like, a qu- yeah. A, yeah. A quick thing on that for someone who's seen like a, a fair share of Korean television shows, that is a feature, not a bug. Um, to have these kind of tonal shifts and like sort of that, that mixture of pathos and clowning. You, I, I have just described um, the tonal shifts for pretty much every Korean television show huh. ever. <laughs> um, so do they all have someone's kidneys being taken out? Because I no. feel like everything I've watched other than Parasite that was Korean <laughs> entertainment has had someone having that kidneys. <laughs> kidneys are South I, Korea's major export. Uh, oh, you guys. <laughs> that is, um, that, that's not really a joke. That's kind of really just really sad. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly referring actually to kind of the mainline Korean drama, which right. is nothing at all like this, like kind of, you know, uh, nowhere nearly as gritty and violent as this. There's like kind of, you know, but it does, they often feature these genre mixtures that we've been talking about, right? Comedy, drama, romance, um, and the, and the, the cop and murder mystery sort of thing. Um, you know, the, 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 the police, the policeman unraveling the conspiracy uh, that you will see that like kind of interwoven in between like, you know, uh, your kind of mainline uh, romantic sort of thing um, for a couple of good examples of this that you can catch on Netflix. Um, uh, a crash landing on you um, is a Korean is a, a really out there Korean drama about a South Korean woman who, who lands behind uh, enemy lines uh, in, in North Korea um, and hilarity and pathos and all, all sorts of other things ensue. Got it. So, so they, they check have that a, out. That's my side recommendation. They have a touch of of Ali McBeal in them. At least is the is the nearest reference on American American television that leaps immediately to mind. Where there was like you know I don't know there was sort of weird slapstick almost and kind of uh, unrealistic clowning and yet also sort of serious serious plots and and uh, things that you're actually meant to be very emotionally invested in and 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 care about a lot. Um. Plot, I mean, uh, plot wise, things sort of things unravel as you, you know, you think that the man revealed to be the front man uh, is in charge. And uh, then you realize there are still further, you know, still further bosses until you you kind of find the final boss, uh, the final boss at the end. I guess the front man who was the uh, the um, brother of the police officer, Jun Ho, uh, who who I get, I guess he was the winner of the games in a previous year, several years prior, yeah, yeah. several years prior and had been recruited. And I had wondered if that's where they came from, like that's where the bosses came from or something like that. But I guess it's, I guess it's just one, I guess he just had a, you know, a, a particular talent for, um, uh, he had a, a particular talent for it, but, uh, you know, I saw his work in Terminator Genesis and really thought that (laughs) he would have a lot (laughs) <laughs> to the Squid Game production. Jeez, oh, um, yeah, we're, we're referring to actor, famous that Korean actor uh, Lee Byung Hyun. 
um, who had a regrettable turn as a T-1000 in a regrettable Terminator movie. <laughs> but that's – so like he uh, – he, he so you get the sense because they're locked in cells and, and are you know heavily regimented and stuff like that, that the, the Sega Genesis faces are actually there involuntarily somehow like that their their lives are are certainly better than the players because they don't get they don't get uh you know murdered in cold blood with quite the frequency um that the that the players do though you know a fair number meet very bad ends um that's like uh, uh you know that's one thing but then there's then then there's the front man who seems to be there something like voluntarily and has very strong ideas about like the idea of of fairness in the game which is like i you know it seems to be different from the uh the vips who want like who want entertainment right who want they don't care if it's fair or not they just you know they just want uh it to be a good show and that that includes uh ilnam the the uh man with the brain tumor the older man who um you know has a, a, a with whom gihan develops a uh relationship only to reveal that he's kind of the the person behind the the person behind the whole thing so there is i mean there's like a what uh uh what is it it's like um i was trying to reference it to 1984 but it's not really like it's not really like 1984 or it's like 1984 if there is a still more inner shadowy class of of you know billionaires running the society for uh for everybody's benefit so the the like the um you know there's there's sort of an inner party uh of people who who um truly believe you know or who are made to truly believe and then kind of an outer party who are the sega genesis faces who get the um uh you know who do the work but who who are just kind of made to live under under this rule and are are controlled through through coercion um yeah, yeah. it's kind of a sort of a joke but i assume we're going to find out in season two is like what do all these uh the sega genesis people do in the off season like, are they just living on the island year round? Or, but you could easily imagine a system where, like, they all get gassed and they all get dropped off on like a street corner, you know, and, and they don't know how they got to the island, and they just get they get a card in the mail when it's time to go back to the Squid Game, which actually uh, dovetails with a question I had that I'm not sure about. The cop's brother, who turns out to be the front man, when did he disappear? Has, has he been gone for years ever since his squid game or did he no. just disappear? So, right. So presumably he, if he is the front man and he's been doing this for a while, cause presumably he, he didn't just get this job last. He seems pretty good at his job for somebody who just, you know, uh, is, is got the orientation last week. So presumably he shows up and he does this when there's a squid game and then he goes home and lives a normal life. It lives like a, you know, in a, in a normal, like, um, and he's living in like an apartment somewhere, right. That, you know, we see his, his place. So he's not, presumably he's a wealthy man from winning the squid game, but he's not living a wealthy lifestyle. He's living an ascetic lifestyle and he disappears to run the squid game. Every do you think, once I mean, was. do you think, do you think the front man comes with a good, a good salary and benefits or is it, is it not waged? Is it voluntary? <laughs> Voluntary work. 
it's it's interesting that you know I I I think one interesting touch point for this movie is the Saw franchise, which is also I mean first of all very tellingly the the guy behind the sadistic games in the Saw movies is a terminally ill man, a man with an inoperable brain tumor who is dying and actually has more of a philosophy behind the games than the gentleman in squid game. Um, the guy in saw feels that like, you know, he looks all around and he sees people wasting their lives, squandering their time on earth and feels like what he wants to do is, is stage a bunch of, um, you know, scenarios like a sort of, um, seven esque traps where it's like, if you want to live, you're going to have to like, you know, pay for your sins. By 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 you know proving how much you want to live, um, and and going through something extremely painful and unpleasant, um, and that here's the interesting thing about the Saw series is that the people who survive the games often become sort of uh, you know disciples, and actually, and in slight spoiler for the Saw franchise is that the guy with the brain tumor dies on screen in Saw three, but the Saw games continue through i think another like seven saw movies because like the various people that he's that were in the previous movies that he's tested and that survived carry on his work and it seems maybe that's what's going on here in squid game that even though the founder of the games is dead there's somebody else who played and won who has now you know devoted his life to sort of like carrying on the squid game and testing others the way he himself was tested He's a little survivor bias, right? Everybody who lived through it is like, well, the system works. (laughs) Do you think that you think the protagonist who goes to find them at the end of this is going to be offered the opportunity to be the front man and see if he can do it better? I do sort of wonder. I mean, not not to uh, you know drag in yet another South Korean reference, but uh, do we all see um, Snowpiercer? Hmm. Yeah, good call. Yeah, Spoiler, spoilers for the end of Snowpiercer, but there is a similar scenario where it's sort of like if you manage to make it to the, you know, if if you fight your way to the end with the intention of killing the guy behind the thing that you hate most of all, maybe your reward is that you are offered the chance to become that guy um and offered compelling reasons why actually there needs to be somebody driving the train or leading the squid game yeah so let me let me come in here and kind of zoom out and connect a lot of these things here um because what we talked about so far is that the games themselves are very compelling and well developed and we learn a lot about the characters uh and you know sort of the, the critiques of capitalism are all kind of baked in there um when we start to zoom out and look at the superstructure that supports the games, things get kind of fuzzy and hazy and uh, are not quite as satisfying. But I will point out that our imaginations are, there's at least a lot to the imagination and open to possibilities for season two, right? But what what makes things feel just a little bit unsatisfying, and, and this would be kind of the, the one critique that I do have of this first season, or presumably a multiple uh, season show, is that... Um, The show really uh, wants you to draw a connection between kind of, you know, quote unquote, the real world mainstream hyper capitalist South Korean society that chews up uh, people and and, and spits them out and and produces tremendous personal debt for them. But you really want a connection between that and the broader conspiracy. Right. Something that kind of, you know, 
uh, goes all the way to the top, indicts the whole system in kind of a very systematic way, um, reveals uh, something uh, kind of much broader and allegorical about Korean society or maybe capitalism as a whole. Um, it's not there. It's not quite there, right? We, instead, we have um, the old man uh, going out with a whimper and getting just the vaguest sense that he was in finance and he was involved in um, some sort of loan making business. Uh, and, you know, one thing leads to another and then you got a bunch of squid games. Um, that that to me is kind of like the, the gap that we're trying to fill here. Does, does anybody feel like the feel like gap as well? Between the yeah, so, I mean, between the yeah, social yeah. critique, you mean, and the, you know, and the, the but, what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, what I way to think about is yeah, between the um, how well the, the games themselves are built out versus how well the broader conspiracy was built out. Hmm. Yeah, right. Or his whole explanation of the thing basically comes down to like, look, I was bored. I needed a hobby. I did the squid game. But like that doesn't really explain. It's like, but all the games are these beloved childhood memories that you've recreated. And keep in mind that like, although he participated this one time for most of the squid games, 20 year history, he wasn't playing himself i mean i suppose it's an interesting question about were the games always so personal to him or or did they was this a special re, you know this is your life edition of squid game mm-hmm. because of because of player number one um and it I, it does seem like a little bit like i wanted there to be more of a philosophy i wanted there to be more of a almost like maybe a tragic origin story i honestly like what i was convinced was going on through most of it was that the old man makes reference numerous times to his son and talks about you know i guess when he's pre- pretending that he's more senile than he actually is talks about his son and he, he forgot a birthday present for his son and i i sort of felt like maybe what was going on is that the man in the mask the front man was the man's son and he was somehow testing his father or doing you know it, it, there there was something i'm not sure that would have been satisfying either by the way the, the fact that you know there were 400 people that were just there as like npcs for you know a, a familial drama <laughs> Um, but nevertheless, there is, I guess I wanted there to be more than just sort of like, you know, it's honestly like one thing that the rich guy said, I don't know if it was meant to be infuriating, but it kind of was, is that, you know, being fabulously wealthy is in a way just as difficult as being incredibly poor. (laughs) I, 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 I like, I wanted to chime in with something, but I had to stop and laugh at that because it is, it is pretty funny. Um, but I will, I will add, I think that I had a similar feeling when I watched Parasite and I want to float this notion out there as well, which is, um, I don't necessarily think that when people use the word capitalism, uh, they are actually all talking about the same thing, right? And I think that the assumption that everybody who says capitalism is talking about the same thing, uh, is, is leads to a lot of confusion. No, and Pete, they're this- talking about, they're talking about private control. Uh, they're talking about private property. You know, they're talking about private, pri- <laughs> private disposition of, of money and goods. You know, that's, that's what everyone means when they say capitalism. Yeah. The real problem with the squid game was the communal beds. That was really the issue, right? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but no, but what I mean is that, like, I think in the United States, we are still in the Cold War dichotomy, right? Uh, where 
we think of capitalism and communism as in opposition to each other because the United States and the Soviet Union were in opposition to each other. And therefore, everything that's against capitalism must validate some form of socialism and that everything that is against any form of socialism must be in favor of some form of capitalism. Um, when I watch Korean economic social critique, I don't get that dichotomy. And mostly it's because of the presence of North Korea. Right. Which tends to have a pretty fraught and difficult relationship, of course, inspired by the real world with the goings on. But also, I would say that there is a tension between the way things are now and the way that they used to be, which is something that I remember from when I was younger in the United States. But, you know, it was it was, you know, that whole transition in the United States happened a bit earlier. Right. So I think a lot of the people who really experienced that sort of thing are gone now. Um, you know, so are you thinking about. The, the kind of the way that the labor market works, right? Are you talking about the dislocation of people from their jobs? These things are not necessarily characteristic of all capitalism, right? Um, and I'm not necessarily saying we should argue about the core concepts, but the idea that when the squid game people set out to make the squid game and they want to make a point about capitalism, I think that if we view it as Americans might view it, it would make sense that it doesn't make sense. And because that's not what's being said. And, and I think part of it is that I don't necessarily think the Squid Game really presents a solution to the problem in the form of a dichotomy, right? The dichotomy is the future and the past, and the past, while it's sort of shown as having these virtues that the present doesn't have, is also a brutal place where the children yeah. are trained to really, really be nasty to each other, right? And I think that's another thing that we might miss as Americans. I'm sorry, Mark, uh, do you want to chime in there a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, a, a few different things to, to put in here. You're, you're – um you're hitting the nail on the head there, right? Kind of like the dichotomy between the future and the past and also kind of the, the specific uh, Korean economic uh, uh, the factors at, at play the theme here that don't kind of speak broadly to global capitalism, right? So let me take out a little bit of a history uh, on, on a history tour here and with a couple of important dates. The first one is 1988. And why do you bring, what happened in 1988, Pop Quiz? Seoul Olympics. Correct. The other thing that happened was that that was the first year that the Squid Games were played. If you wow. go back and look at the thing, you know, where, where the cop is is hunting around in the dark and looking through the records, it very clearly shows that uh, edition one of the Squid Games was played in 1988. Um, it's important for so many different reasons, right, because South Korea was transitioning from a military dictatorship uh, into a, um, a, a a pluralistic democracy, uh, sorry, a, a, a representative democracy. Um, so there's that piece of it is like kind of South Korea's, you know, entrance into the global stage. In a, in a really big way. The other important date here was not explicitly mentioned in the show, but uh, is implicit in a lot of things is 1997. Uh, another pop quiz. And anybody know what happened in 1997? That was important. Titanic. <laughs> Very important. Yes. Uh, the other thing was the uh, the Asian economic crisis oh, right. referred to in Korea as the IMF crisis. And um, I, and I'm not I'm not, not going to try to you know nail all the details here, but the gist of it is that um, uh that marked a real turning point because South Korea had to accept the bailout from the IMF, um, that the economy changed into something that is much more dog eat dog, no social safety net, no job security, the sort of thing that is embodied by Gi-hoon, the main character, right, who loses a stable job um, and then just uh, has everything pulled out from underneath him. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think that that context helps. The other thing that, that I wanted to put out there in terms of that that piece about um, the past and nostalgia and things like that is um, the, the Marvels game, 
right? Do you remember uh, the word that the old man uses uh, to describe the relationship between him and Gion, the main character? Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember there were like gan, two Gs gan, in a row. Yeah, right? mis- mispronounce it. Oh, you said it first. Yeah, Ganbu, right? This idea of like, you know, we're all in this together. What's yours is mine. Um, this kind of like sepia tone, uh, nostalgia for this more communal period of Korean society, which never really existed, uh, at, at all. But th- that in, in retrospect, and thinking, I'm thinking about it, um, uh, that piece, uh, really resonated with me in terms of like the, just the horrible <laughs> irony of that, right? Like it, it could, because the thing, the old man in, in his mind, um, that worldview was was justified. He, he was his ganbu because he was going to share the the prize money with him, right? Hmm. Which is just like such a narrow way uh, 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 of thinking about it. So that was kind of like you know just a kind of a lot of like you know uh, cultural and historical context going on there. But um, yeah, to to review what we said before, like right? this is not like you know to saying it's a critique of capitalism is selling a lot of it really short. So 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 if the old man has lionized in his mind the the nostalgic idea of the ganbu right as the best friend and the people who get along and and share and share alike and that way they thought they sort of thrive together but i believe one of the twists is that the narration at the beginning of the show is actually the old man rather than the protagonist or is it the protagonist i interpret it as the protagonist okay the main character because when they say oh the squid game it was the most violent game right and the kids would do anything to get past each other, right? And, you know, you're hopping on one foot and then you get to go on both feet and they're just beating on each other. So there are actual flashbacks to the past in this movie, and they're all really violent and terrible regardless of when they take place, mm. right? So what I'm wondering if whether there is a question here being posed to the nostalgic soul, right, you know, to speak euphemistically, of – you know, contemporary Korea as to whether the past really does provide us with the solutions to the, for the future or not. Right. Whether in fact, this sort of old nostalgic man who waxes poetic about the times when everybody got along uh, is actually a very cruel and, and was actually raised under a military dictatorship uh, and had nothing. And, and he is, that's part of why he's been drawn into this life of lucre. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating because I, I don't have the, the sort of background to really truly yeah. appreciate it. I'll throw one other thing, uh, log onto this fire and then I'll back off, which is that um, one of uh, this, the long time, like strong man ruler of South Korea, president Park Chung-hee um, ruled for like, a solid couple of decades or so um, instrument, like in the, in the sixties and seventies instrumental in turning Korea into the country that it is today, but was also uh, a, a brutal ruler. Um, uh, and, uh, was assassinated by his own CIA director, actually, um, has a very mixed sort of legacy, um, you know, regarded both as just this awful tyrant as well as kind of like this, you know, founder of modern Korea. Uh, and his legacy is such that his daughter managed to run for and win the presidency of Korea um, in, in no small part due to the legacy of her late father. But she as well uh, had her own downfall, not by assassination, but, but this is a tremendous scandal uh, and and just the rank incompetency on her part. So um, that that uh, that nostalgia piece there is is absolutely a play in Korean yeah. society. Another sort of darkly ironic, and I won't get into too much detail on this, but another sort of darkly ironic social undermining of nostalgia. I don't know if you guys felt the same way about this, but the PlayStation people, right? 
the squares, the triangles, and the circles. Uh, it's Plato's Republic, right? It's oh, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. So like you have the because the Gilsners build two society, one society. He builds two societies, right? He builds the society of the squids who are egalitarian and competitive, right? And then I call them the squids. They are not actually squids, which is unfortunate. And then there's also mm. the society of the workers. So if the poor people and the rich people who are involved in the games don't have enough to do and are bored and end up gambling with their lives, the workers at the at the complex are always occupied, right? And they're occupied with their specific jobs, which if you know Plato's Republic, you know, there's the bosses, right? There's the soldiers, and then there's the laborers, right? Which includes in Plato's Republic, both the farmers and the uh, the craftspeople and stuff. And I looked up other case systems, like there's no soldier case in Confucianism, right? There's a distinction between the agricultural, non-agricultural laborers in the Vedic case system. So I think it's Plato's Republic that's being talked about here, but it's position, it's being proposed as a black mirror nightmare, right? Rather than as an ideal society, even though it doesn't have the same problems, although it does because they go underground to steal organs. Um, but yeah, the idea that this idea of, of an ideal society is so transparently evil in just its basic presentation that you have to dig to figure out that it's, you know, one, one very strong historical notion for how things ought to be. Um, it was interesting. So just overthinking. You know, uh, one thing we haven't really talked about is that at the end, uh, w when uh, Gihon meets Il Nam, and Il Nam is talking about his reasons to um, to do the Squid Game, he throws out a lot of different sort of motivations all at once, including sort of like boredom. I was so rich that what was I supposed to do but start the Squid Game? Uh, nostalgia, which is just sort of like this is a way to recapture some of the feelings of joy I felt as a child, but also this sort of feeling that like there's this moral rot in society, and he's trying to he's almost like testing the world right to see if the world deserves to exist right and, and using this the the old man freezing to death in the cold as a sort of referendum on society and there's this sort of idea that like you know maybe the squid game and i i feel like either this is this is a little half baked and i'm not sure if it's half baked because the show didn't quite stick the landing or because the character was wasn't supposed to be a fully it wasn't supposed to be a fully consistent ideology, but I mean, is there something to the idea that like the squid game is a, is a chance to see is like the Milgram experiment is a chance to see like what people do under pressure. But if so, I mean, I feel like it's, it's designed to punish the people who behave altruistically, like the people who try to help each other are much more likely to lose the squid game. Um, and at the end, honestly, the second to last game, the one that where you cross the glass bridge is just about like the number that you happen to pick. Right. And if you pick a later number, you're much more likely to survive than if you pick an earlier number. Yeah, man, it's about, no it's about privilege. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, I guess the question is that I'm joking, like, I'm joking. was there some kind of a strategy in the squid game where like, if they had just cooperated, if they had just trusted each other, they all could have lived. I, I like that one saw that movie was... where like that one saw movie where at the very end you discovered that there was a way through all of the traps without dwindling one by one. And then the last trap, I'm sorry, spoiler alert for a saw movie, I, which uh, I read a summary of on Wikipedia. The last trap required like all eight people or whatever. And uh, it's like, oh, you shouldn't have sacrificed one per game. You know, you you need them all now. And you go back and you you realize. But yeah, as a I mean, it's interesting when you talk about like Squid Game is a, a critique of 
capitalism, right? Like the idea, or as a critique, as a social critique, because you know, for all the reasons we've said, critique of capitalism doesn't quite do it justice. If it's a social or- critique, like when when you create, when you tell a story and you create like a regular world and and a like special world, like the forest. Um, Perhaps where there are donkeys. No, the forest. The uh, you know the the relation the relationship between the real world and the the enclosed world. You know is what's at issue, and you're saying that the uh, the enclosed world is really like the uh, the real world, or it's very different from it in in some sort of important way. And like I the the idea that this is a social critique works at the level of at the level of the show and at the level of the like the the right director and the people watching it but not necessarily at the level of of uh ilnam like creating these things because he's not he's not critiquing like the the bygone you know the the lack of the bygone days of of like you know community good community by by creating a you know king of the mountain vicious blood sport is he like he it's he's just really he's in it for the for the lulls and by lulls, yeah. I mean like uh, you know whatever uh, awakens the whatever awakens and slightly warms the the cold, icy, frozen, deadened soul inside him uh, because he has uh, too much money to be happy. Yeah. Speaking of cold, icy, and frozen, can, can we talk a little bit more about that uh, kind of uh, that very last, I guess, game for lack, yeah, for lack of a better word, um, that they're playing with the with the homeless man uh, freezing outside in the cold, right? Because like it, it, I feel like nothing was really proven there. Right. You know, a, a police car shows up and, you know, in hopefully in the South Korean context, you know, it's not quite as fraught of a thing as it is in the United States. Right. Where it's like, OK, like, you know, we're supposed to be happy. about Yeah. That. Civil society is working. Right. You know, a, there is a there is at the very bottom of uh, the heap. There is the social safety net that will come in and get this person off the street and uh, out of the cold. Um, but beyond that. Right. It's not like you know, um, any particular worldview has been disproven, right? Because the man got into dire straits to begin with. So, um, you know, the, the, the world is, is cruel and awful. Um, but like, yeah, sure. Some modicum, small modicum of help was provided. I thought this was a, a willow problem. I mean, maybe this is me. Maybe this is a, me again, you know, imagining a story that wasn't the one that I saw, but I kind of felt like he could win the bet very easily by just going and doing it himself. Right. I mean, maybe that's just that was just my reaction, which is like, do you what? I bet that nobody will go and help him. I bet that somebody will go and help him. And then you stand there and you watch for like four hours. Right. If you just went out there and helped him yourself, you win the bet. But it never occurred to him to do that, even with all of his money. Um, now, again, I'm, I was surprised that that's not the direction the show chose to took it to choose to chose to take it but i thought it was interesting i think because squid game had so much attention to detail and characterization i think it has a lot of little moments like this where you can interpret what's happening from your own standpoint and still get something out of it because it's because it's interesting and precise and and they pay attention to patterns and stuff um but yeah i don't know did you did you think that that is there any is there any honor in betting that someone else will help someone else while you stand by and watch you're saying you're saying you must you must be the social safety net you wish to see in the world. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're rich. I suppose, right? right. <laughs> like, well, that's the government's job, Pete. It's the government's job. I pay well, enough. Then, then I pay enough in taxes. Election. Exactly. Look, yeah. I pay. Look, I I dodge. You know, I I shelter my assets from a lot of taxes. 
Look, uh, if if Downton Abbey were to close, the village would lose a valuable source of employment. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, right? There is a there there is a question. Maybe this is too general, but there is a question: is on like on on what basis do we hold? On what basis is is society held together? Right. Like, and the kind of the every man for himself versus everyone for themselves, for, uh, you know, um, style versus the like, uh, I don't know, the, the sort of the idea of family and the, you know, the provision of care for, for elders and for children, right? Like, is, is that issue a lot of the time and, and who is capable of being a parent and who's not capable of, of being a parent and who's, you know, um, and then the, the, the kind of the model at the end of like, okay, there is a, there is a society, right? Like, we do organize the provision of care for for everyone in some sense or at least we we try to do it for for everyone um and and that like but it doesn't come I, you know i don't know it's more i i feel like it's more a statement of a problem than a than a uh you know proactive plan for for social change um i you know unless the unless the social change you want is just baller fashion sense I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that bothered me a little about Squid Game is that there was never any scenario in which you could win the Squid Game communally, right? I think it was it was pretty clear from early on that there was only going to be one winner of the Squid Game, and yet all the way to the bitter end that, like, uh, Gihan is telling the North Korean woman that they can walk out of there together and split the money, even though there's nothing ever that suggested that that's the way it's going to work. And in a way, I think as a a sheer piece of game theory, if not drama, it would be interesting to create a version of the squid game in which if you, if you vote to end the game, you get to split the money uh, among the people who remain. So Mm. it's the kind of thing where like, Oh, we could end the game now and we could each walk out with a bunch of money, just not all the money. And how many people vote to take that? And how many people are just sort of like, no, I've, I've gone this far. I've my hands are already this bloody. I need I need all the money. That would have been interesting because like, you know, dividing. let's say like for the sake of the argument that dividing up the prize money against uh, 400 some odd people is like a decent chunk of change, but not enough to not enough to erase your crippling debt. debt. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, guess. So the amount the amount of money, at least near as I could tell, was just shy of like 40 million U.S. 40 million dollars U.S. Um, was that right? Did I do that? Yeah. Did I do that math? Right. Yeah. Just divide by divide by a thousand. Got it. Your, so it's very shorthand math. Yeah. Um, and so it is it is a life changing amount of money, certainly. And like if you you know, if you are working any kind of job, if you, you know, if you are relying on employment in any sense for your, you know, uh, for your livelihood, then that it it completely catapults you into another uh, another dimension. But it's it it's not an incomprehensible amount of money, right? Like, I don't know, to me, Bill Gates has an incomprehensible amount of money, right? Like, or, or the, you know, there is a, there is a, um, there is a still greater class. I wonder if, if Ilnam is supposed to, to belong to it, but the, you know, so it like, it makes you a, 
it, it may, I don't know how to, how to say this in a way that doesn't sound terrible. It makes you a run of the mill wealthy person, right? I, I, uh, I thought maybe a little bit some of the banking services provided, uh, to Gihun, uh, you know, with his, uh, with his winnings, maybe were a little, uh, maybe we're a little exaggerated, like that, that level of, of attention. Like, aren't there, aren't there billionaires or hundred millionaires that you can, uh, you can peddle your private wealth management <laughs> to? Uh, I don't know. This, this is, yeah, this is no kinda, way. It's kind of sad to think that even with all the winnings of the Squid Games, he's still not especially, you know, he's, he's not what we think of as these sort of like masters of the universe now. There, there, there are country clubs that he still couldn't get into. <laughs> That's well, funny. And also, not like, with that. Especially not with that red haircut he gives himself at the end. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, what do we hot. make of that? That was a, a bold choice. <laughs> well, I thought he it was good. He just over, like went right? went full anime at the end, right? He just wanted to. He wanted to start. He wanted to start over as an entertainer, as an actor, or a singer, or a something. You know, something like that. And he got he got this kind of showbiz kind of haircut. I thought. Mark, was there any moment in Korean history where somebody really conspicuously dyed their hair? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, you know, that the outbreak of the Korean War, um, one brave soldier. <laughs> oh, that, no, 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 no. Did not the, from BTS dye their hair red at some point? It was a huge national catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you joke that, but like there that was where my mind had gone to was the uh, the, 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 the K-pop idol look. Uh, so so he's trying to become the new his own the idea of what he thinks of as the success of contemporary Korea, except as was pointed out, it's not really him. It's the allegorist saying like now he's BTS because he's doing great. Right. And he. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be clear, on a surface level, we read that as like, you know, he uh, he's not really in control of his facilities because he's just like sees the first, you know, he, he sees a shiny object. <laughs> in the yeah. barbershop and just like, Oh, I'll take that. I think on a more symbolic level, it just so is it like, you know, he is not nowhere close to be uh, being ready to integrate back into polite society. Yeah. Like he's just, he's like, he's damaged from his yeah. experience. I mean, that's one of the things that this show portrays that you sometimes don't see when people are talking about economic cost and social costs related to economic change, which is just the trauma of job loss, even when it isn't so incredibly violent as this guy's job loss was, it doesn't just get corrected by giving people money. Like it really tears apart communities. And I don't know, this is something we, I studied a little bit in college, but just the idea that, that, you know, the, the mark of the trauma of a town going through a massive hit to their employment, um, it lasts for decades, you know, if, if, if not past measurement, right. Um, even if jobs come back, you'll still see higher incidences of all sorts of what we would term as social problems, like addiction and abuse and stuff like that. Um, and so I'm not saying that he doesn't sure, need tra- money, but resp- can, you know, yeah. trauma responses, right? Like, well, part of the point of the rules of the game is that just giving you the money would also be kind of a trap because you'll be, you'll come right back. Although I guess, did anybody else watch the Saturday night live sketch about squid game before yeah. you watched yeah. Squid game and assumed it would end the same way? Uh, I thought they no, 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 not beforehand. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh man. Um, did you guys, do you see this blinks? Uh, no, but uh, you told me a little about it, right? Where he just like you know loses it all, has to go back a second time. Yeah, he he basically gambles all the money away. I was like, oh, he's going to win the Squid Game money, then he's going to gamble it away, and he's going to end up right back at the Squid Game, which is not in fact what he does. Um, although we don't know what he does yet because Squid Game season two hasn't happened. Dun, dun, dun. I'm, I'm hoping that it's like an Ocean's Eleven style heist, and he's like, we're going to knock over the Squid Game. You crazy <laughs> son of a bitch! I'm in. 
Yeah, but that, where it's like he needs to assemble a team. There's somebody who needs to go undercover as like a square. There's somebody who needs to join the game as a player. There's somebody who needs to pretend to be a VIP. And they all have their part to do. And so that like during the the big hopscotch game, during the double Dutch competition, they can, they can <laughs> abscond with the giant piggy bank with a helicopter or something. <laughs> oh, God. So, the, I mean, yeah, it's, it is, uh, it's interesting. I wonder what... Uh, I wonder what is going to happen. I mean, I will say that the show had the courage of its convictions to actually kill off the very good characters and not say like, oh, let's keep a couple of them. You know, let's keep the ones that we really like and feel close to or let's feel the, uh, keep the ones who are like really dynamic and like successful and interesting char- yeah. as characters, right? Like uh, there could everyone- have been an ending where they had voted to stop the game with right. like, you know, five people yeah. left and they all went home, you know, to, to face their various deaths, but they maybe- Maybe maybe there's another chance to go. You know, they could always vote to restart the game at any point. Well, let's uh, let's. Uh, I guess we got to hold on until next week to see what happens. And I guess we got to leave it. Uh, I guess we got to leave it there. We've made it through six rounds of of podcast games. So uh, thanks very much, everyone, for listening, and thanks very much to Blinky, to Fenzel, and to Mark uh, for um, talking with me. Uh, I appreciate it. It was uh, it was. Not pleasant moment to moment, a lot of it, but it was certainly compelling and very, uh, very interesting. This is probably the closest to uh, a scary movie that I could, or a scary television show that I could watch, except that, uh, that, that, um, terrible soul wrenching Homeward Bound the Incredible Journey from a couple, <laughs> from a couple weeks ago, which all these weeks later I am still traumatized by. All right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinking.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. deserve. Hey guys, I got kidnapped and taken to an island where I had to, with a bunch of other people, pick up a whole bunch of trash and roll it into a giant ball. You know what it was called? What was it called, Pete? A calamari demancy. Man, I'd love to see a TV show that.